Good morning. It's a pleasure to bring you God's Word for your comfort and also for your effective life as a Christian today. We're starting a series on forgiveness, and I have a, a, a great privilege to talk about the, one of the great stories of grace and forgiveness in the Bible, Old Testament Joseph. Now, my wife and I are notorious in our home for coming in while the kids are watching a show or a movie, and it's in the last three minutes, and start asking a thousand questions with parental prerogative. Who's that? Why did he say that? What's going on? And the kids say, stop, let us finish it, and then we'll tell you. Uh, today, you can push pause, and we know that. So we say, push pause and tell us. So we can enjoy the rest of the show with you. Uh, today, the section, if you've looked in your folder, when you sat down to think about worship or you got my email, it's from the last part of Joseph's entire life that's in the Bible, chapter 50 of Genesis. It's at the end of the movie, and it's very important. It's going to give us great insight from God's Word about His ways and forgiveness, but it's at the end of the movie. So you see the, you see the picture. We're gonna, that's the end of the movie. We're going to push pause right there, and I'm going to remind you of the story so that everyone that's here can be brought up to speed, okay? It's about 2,000 years before Christ in Genesis there toward the end, and Joseph is born into a family of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. And Joseph is this one of the first son of the favored wife. Jacob had four, two wives and two, two concubines. And, and Je- Joseph is the first son of Rachel, and he is highly favored by his dad, and they are all in an agrarian society, agriculturalists, they're shepherds, and Jacob favors Joseph, who's the 11th son of 12, and the next son is his little brother, Benjamin. Je- Joseph was given the mark of a favored son by his dad, and just to help you kind of keep the timeline, I'll start over here. So Joseph is born into this family. He's favored by his dad, and he's given a richly ornamented coat. We've always heard it growing up, a coat of what? Many colors. Actually, the Hebrew is very hard to translate because we don't really know words to match it with. It just means it was a really nice coat, richly ornamented or many colors. It said, you are my favorite. In a day when cloth was very hard to come by, it was worth a lot of money, but it was worth even more by what it said about him. And his brothers could tell that dad favored him. It was easy and unashamed. They went out and were shepherds, and he got to be the runner that went out to check on him and come back and told dad what was going on. And if they were not doing it well, he told dad they were not doing it well, and he did, and that got him into trouble. And how many of you have grown up in a family where somebody tattled on you? How did you feel about it? Pretty crummy, right? So they didn't like Joseph for that reason. He's favored, and he tattles on them. And it doesn't seem fair that he gets to be favored. But then, God gives Joseph two dreams in one night that say that Joseph is favored by God too. How could that be? And how would the brothers even know about it? Well, because Joseph is naive... And he's impetuous, and he tells them right away. In fact, he even told his mom and dad the same thing. He said, I had two dreams, and what God was telling me through sheaves of grain and stars and moon and sun, all of you are going to bow down to me someday. Now imagine your little brother 
telling you the God of heaven just told him that you're all going to bow down to him someday. They hated Joseph, could not say a kind word to him. And some of them started to think about in their heart how they could kill Joseph and just get rid of him. One day his dad said, Joseph, go find out how your brothers are doing. And he said, go see how they're going. And he found them at a place called Dothan, pretty far away from dad. And as they saw him coming on a far hill, a couple of the brothers said, there's a dry cistern here. Let's kill him, throw him down in it. We'll take his robe, smear blood on it, tell, him, tell dad wild animals must have killed him. And that idea was a groundswell among them until the oldest brother, Reuben, heard it. And he said, we cannot kill our brother. Let's put him in this cistern and, and we'll, we'll make him suffer there, but let's not kill him. And Reuben didn't know how he was going to do it, but he was going to get Joseph free from his brothers and somehow return him back to his dad. And Reuben left after they threw him in the cistern and took off his coat. And they sat down to eat. And a band of slave traders came through. And Judah, who's kind of like Reuben, he's trying to save Joseph's life. But he really wants to get rid of Joseph out of the family. He says, let's sell him to the slave traders. And the slave traders come over and they, they say, we'll take 20 shekels of silver from you for this boy of ours. And they bought him. They sold their brother. Almost killed him and then sold him. And so off he went with them and those slave traders were headed down to Egypt, which was hundreds of miles away. And when they got to Egypt, they went to the slave sale and the auctioneer treating it like people, like cattle, and they sold Joseph to a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for the king of Egypt. Joseph went to work for him. And this is what the Bible says. This first time it appears in the story, got all these things happening. The Bible says God was with Joseph while he was at Potiphar's house. And he blessed him and Potiphar could see it. And Potiphar said, God's blessing him. He could see what his brothers could not see. His brothers could not see that if Joseph was blessed so much, they'd be blessed. But Potiphar could. And he said, I'll put you in charge of everything in my house. And he did. And so Joseph is now second in command, and Potiphar travels a lot because he has a lot of dough. He's gone for a while. And Potiphar's wife, she starts tempting Joseph because he's handsome and he's powerful, and she wants to tap into that. And so she keeps pulling on him and tempting him. And finally one day she grabs his coat and says, come to bed with me, and he leaves it in her hand. Now he's lost the coat of many colors. He's lost his coat in Egypt. And he runs out of the house. But before he does, he says something that's full of faith. And it, full of faith. Think of a young, virile young man who's got all this power far from home where God was taught to him by his dad. And he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he runs off. Now you'd think God would give him a great blessing for that right away, right? Potiphar's wife lied about him and said he came in to rape her when Potiphar got home. And Potiphar was so mad he threw Joseph into the dungeon where the, cat, the king's most highly visible prisoners were. And that's where Joseph stayed. And then the second time in the story, this phrase comes up. But God was with Joseph and he blessed him. And the jailer could see that. And the jailer said, you can have the keys and be in charge of the whole jail. And Joseph ended up in the best part of a very bad place. 
And then two guys made Pharaoh very angry. His baker and his cupbearer. Both of them were in the line of the food chain to his table. Both of them, if they didn't do their job well and did not stay in good favor with him, could make sure he got poisoned. He was scared of them and angry with them. He threw them into jail where Joseph was. And they were there for a while. And they got to know Joseph. And then one night they had dreams. And the cupbearer and baker had dreams in the same night, and they were very similar. And so they were walking around the jail saying, who could tell us what our dreams meant? And some guy said, there's a dreamer here that God is with, and he could tell you. And Joseph said, tell me what your dreams are. God will interpret them. And the cupbearer told his dream, and Joseph said, oh, your dream means in three days you're going to be reinstated. And the baker got excited. And he said, well, here's my dream. And Joseph said, I'm sorry to tell you, but in three days you're going to be beheaded by Pharaoh. And that's what happened. But before the cupbearer left the jail, Joseph said, I'm not here for good reasons. This is unfair. All of this stuff that's happened in my life is unfair. My brothers, Potiphar's wife, it's all wrong. Please, you're in a high position. Get me out of here. But what happened? He forgot. He forgot about Joseph. Maybe when he did remember him, it wasn't the right time, and he kept forgetting, but he simply didn't act on it. He forgot. That's not fair, right? Joseph had saved his life. How could you do that to Joseph? He did. And then one night, Pharaoh had two dreams, and they so troubled him that he said, who can interpret my dreams? And the cupbearer said, I know someone. He can interpret them. And they went and got Joseph, and he interpreted the dreams. There's going to be seven great years of great agricultural rain and and fertility. Save up all the food you can, because after that are going to come seven bad years of famine, and the world's going to be starving. And we'll, we'll not only have grain, but we'll also have the world by the throat. You need to find somebody wise that will take care of all this. And Pharaoh said, well, there's nobody as wise as you that has God with them. Your God showed this to you. You get to be in charge. Joseph is now 32 years old. Seven good years happened. Now he's 39. First bad year happens. His brother's like everybody else, come to Joseph looking for food. They've got money. And through, I'm going to reduce the story a little bit. Through his own ingenuity, Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them. They don't recognize him, but he can understand their Hebrew when they talk. He sends them back with their grain and their money. And when they come back the second time with his brother, as he demanded his little brother, he sends them back with their money again and their grain but he hides his, his silver cup in his little brother's bag. And then he sends a man after them and accuses them of stealing from him and brings them all in. And what did they do? But bow down before him, begging for mercy. What were his dreams? Way back over there. Man, this is my day. Think of how wonderful that is for a brother in that competitive spirit. I got him. That thought is simply not in Joseph's mind. Because something amazing has happened to his mind and his heart. And that amazing thing is what God wants to happen in us, my dear friends. 
because too often it's just not there. That amazing work of the grace of God is not in our hearts, and we are all too familiar with the excitement of getting even. But not Joseph. When he said, I am Joseph, your brother, they almost fainted or died of heart. It says they were silent, they couldn't speak. And this is what he said. Do not be mad at yourselves for what you did to me. I just want to say, every time I get to that part in the movie, are you kidding me? I want them to be mad at themselves. That's because I'm not renewed that much sometimes either. So do not be mad at yourselves because God sent me ahead of you. You were sending me for evil to get rid of me, but God was actually using me to save many lives. You know, I, I wonder if... If you, if you met Joseph two weeks before the cupbearer remembered him, how would he talk about all of this, this life of his? See, he had the dreams way back when he was 17, but nothing after that made any sense based on the dreams. Everything was the opposite. Does that sound familiar? When you're hurting and you're suffering and it seems weird and wrong and not fair and and, and, and not according to the promises you hear taught to you from God's Word since you were wee bitty up to now? Do you experience challenges in your belief that God is there and God is good and that it's, He is really working for your good? I wonder if we'd have sat with Joseph two weeks before that cupbearer remembered him and we said, what's going on? If he'd have said, it doesn't make any sense. But what about two weeks after, when he was in charge of Egypt. Now he could reframe everything. And that's the word I want you to remember, reframe. He could go back and he could see that if his brothers would not have sold him into slavery, he would not have ended up in Potiphar's house. If, and Potiphar was a high official. If, Pot, if, if Potiphar's wife had not tempted him and lied about him, he would not have ended up in the highest part of prison. If he had not ended up in the highest part of prison, he would not have met the cupbearer and the baker. If the cupbearer would have remembered him and got him released, he would not have been there when Pharaoh had his dreams. If he had not have been there when Pharaoh had his dreams, he would not have known to help save millions of people, including his whole family. Now he could reframe it. I get to save my family. Now, it's not about being sold into slavery. It's about being part of a plan to save his own people. How many years passed? 17 to 41, about 24 years when he revealed himself to them. Think of pining away. 24 years you robbed from me. I don't, I'm my mom and dad's best years and I got none of it with you. Think of that venom that could be there. It's not. You know how many years he got with his family from 41 on? He died at the age of 110. He got, by being God's man, knowing God's love and ways, he got 59 years with his family. They would have been dead if they had not sold him in slavery. Now, Seventeen more years pass after 41, and he got his mom and dad for 17 years. And then 
Dad died. 147 years old, Jacob died. They go through this long process of taking just the brothers and Joseph and some officials from Egypt. They, they carry his body all the way up to the promised land and bury it with Isaac and Abraham's bodies. And they come back. You get the, you get the feeling, reading the story, the, watching the movie, the brothers don't really live with their high official brother day to day. And here's the thing. When we don't live with each other day to day and we have guilt and fear, we start to invent stories about what the other person is thinking or doing, don't we? And those stories are fed by our fears. We've all experienced it. And in our adulthood, we've worked really hard to try to filter that because we know how much trouble we get into when we're building stories about one another. And here's the story that that they built in their minds. Joseph maybe was only being nice to us because he was respectful of dad. And they started, as they, as they bounced that thought between them, they started to get more and more afraid. And so they thought, we've got to try something. Let's tell him a story. Let's take control before he gets even. And let's try to have dad's words live over his head the rest of his life. So they get an audience with him and they come in. And then we come into the end of the movie. So we can... Push the pause button again so the movie starts and we can listen to this end of the movie and then pull from it this great insight about forgiveness that we need so much. So let's look at the story. Okay, we're going to, that's the very end, and we walk, now you're ready to listen to it, and let's see what happens. Chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father has left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Spend a day thinking about what that must mean. Why did he cry? I'll just say it in a general way. He could read their hearts, but they could not read his. His had been rewritten by God, the God that they claimed they served, but they didn't understand. For 17 years, he had shown them the fruits of love and forgiveness and mercy and was thinking he could have a great family relationship in God's love, and even God's love was not enough to help them with their thoughts, they still were spinning a yarn in their head that he was holding a grudge. Great is the power of unbelief, and it's overwhelming when you just want to live in the love of God that you're experiencing and someone else will not live there. Instead, they're about law and getting even and keeping score and all of those things. And Joseph wept because... He still didn't really have his family the way he wanted. But it's not time to get even, just like it wasn't back then. 
And after 17 years, what he said to them when he revealed himself to them was, you can tell from looking at it, it's less refined. But now he's been living with the concept that God has been with him and God has meant all of this for good. So he starts to say it in a much more crisp way. So watch what it says he said to them. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. He stayed in grace And he said, God meant it for good. God intended it for good has become a mantra for his life. Everybody mulls over the past. We all do it. When Joseph mulled over the past, he mulled over what what had happened to him. He could say at the end of every thought, but God meant it for good. I can't believe my brothers almost killed me, but God meant it for good. I can't believe they sold me like a piece of furniture, but... God meant it for good. I can't believe Potiphar's wife and what she did to me and how he believed the lie after how faithful I, But God meant it for good. I can't believe that cupbearer forgot, but God meant it for good. And every time he went through and mulled through it and mulling through your thoughts about the past can become a huge trap in your life, he kept breaking free with the grace of God that God was with him and God meant it for good because God is a gracious and good God. Not because Joseph deserved it, but because God had chosen to love him. And it comes out in the story. Well, Joseph was teaching his brothers on how to live with God when he said that. God meant it for good. He was also teaching us. What Joseph had to learn... Jesus already knew the day he was conceived. Born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those that were under law. He grew as a man in wisdom and stature into the full and complete knowledge of that. But he knew, and he got deeper and deeper in his knowledge in his whole life, and never once had to learn it like a sinner has to learn it. And he never had to relearn it the way that we have to relearn it. But he knew all along that his family who rejected him, his brothers thought he was crazy. His mom even fell for that. His disciples deny, betray, run from him. All of the evil that his own people would do, turning him over to the Romans, all the suffering of the cross. He knew it would all be for good. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, is there another way lest this cup pass from me? Make it pass from me, but I'll take it if you will. He knew it was all for our good. That was never a question. God meant it for good. So, for us who have to relearn the lesson and are culpable before God, we're forgiven. Because Jesus is our Savior. When He did all that perfectly, He was the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So even in this, not forgiving people, we are forgiven. Because Christ never once gave in to that didn't even entertain it like Joseph did. But here's for you and me what we have to take away. The Holy Spirit says, if you believe that Jesus has redeemed you, 
of your sins, including the sin of not forgiving, then you are also open to letting the Holy Spirit shape you into someone like Joseph and someone like Jesus. You are open to learning the mantra that's true for Joseph is also true for you and me. God meant it for good. And so when you're sitting there thinking through your life and the things that you have trouble forgiving, you're ready now with the tool in your toolbox that Joseph and Jesus are giving you. God means it for good. So, what about that bully back in school, way back in your life? Say it! God meant it for good. What about that girl that kept gossiping and tearing down your reputation? Say it! What about that coworker who schemed and took at least some of your influence and marginalized you in the workplace or got some perks that you thought you should have or even got the job that you have? Say it. What about that church leader or church member that said something or did something hurtful or careless? Say it. What about that stinker that's a neighbor that makes living on your street difficult? Say it. What about that spouse who you think fails you so much? Say it. What about that preacher that keeps making you say this? God meant it for good. Do you understand? You see, living with joy and happiness and the power to forgive is not dependent upon how severe or how deep the sins are of other people in our lives. That's an unalterable truth. We logically think the bigger the sin, the harder it is to forgive. Not true. It challenges our thinking. We have to concentrate more. But it's the bigger the Jesus, the easier it is to forgive. Because God means it for good. You may say, well, wait a minute. Joseph had dreams that he could cling to. And Jesus, he knew God, Father, perfectly. So what do I got? Well, what was said twice in the story as I was moving across the front, both with Excuse me, when he was in Potiphar's house and in jail, what does the Bible say about Joseph? God was with him. Well, where in the Bible does it say God is with you and me? Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? Go and make disciples and then what? I will be with you. How long? To the very end of the age. Not till confirmation. Not till graduation from high school. Not until you hit middle age and the health problems start. (laughs) I will be with you to the very end of the age. God is with you. You have that promise. What's the other thing that we see in the Joseph story? He says, God sent me ahead of you to work the good of saving many lives. And our whole family got saved. He was also saving a remnant to bring us a Savior. But he didn't say that. Maybe he wasn't thinking that, but we know that. So all that good that God was working, Joseph knew he was up to good, right? Well, what does he say about your life? Where in the Bible does it say he's working good behind the scenes? 
Romans 8, 28, the great chapter written to suffering Christians. What does it say? We know, say it with me, we know that in all things, wait a minute, what things? All things, God is working for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Do you think that promise is just for other people? Of course not, it's for us, right? So God is with us, and God promises to work everything for our good. We're just like Joseph. We're just like Jesus. We're the favored children who know the Word. Now, ponder this. Your ability to understand God and to forgive people is not dependent upon you understanding how to decipher your whole situation along the way. Remember Joseph two weeks before the cupbearer came? He couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand 17 years later when they, they still didn't believe the good news that he had. You don't understand everything. God never told Joseph specifically what he was doing along the way, and he's not going to tell you either. God never told Job. God never told Abraham. He never told David. He never told Moses. He didn't tell Peter and Paul. He's not going to tell you and me. So if you think understanding it all, is that's, when you finally understand it, then you're going to believe God loves you and you're going to start loving like He does. You're in trouble. Because you're trying to create a situation with God. He never gave His greatest saints. Because we weren't made to know everything that He knows. We were made to trust everything He gives. God is with us and God means it for good. That one phrase, God meant it for good, is a phrase you never want to let go of. It will give you power to forgive. It will give you power to give after you've forgiven indiscriminately to enemies and friends alike. It will also give you the power to live a truly spiritually mature life. One that's not just a blessing for others, but it's also a blessing for you. And you'll enjoy being like God, spreading love from your own heart that He deposited there. And life will have meaning and value and purpose because you will be a grace-centered person. And it's all because of that one truth, which is? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for Joseph and teaching us how to reframe our lives and uh, for the grace that does it for us. Help us to take this message home. And you know in this room what big unforgiveness is there and how we've questioned your timing and we've been really angry at people and events and you've seen how childish we've been with it. We repent. We also ask you to help us by your Holy Spirit to truly forgive and to become people like him. Amen.